I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Next listener, Tom says, can they transplant a grape plant right now? It's already been dug up. Uh, and if so, what's the best way for them to do that? It depends on how old it is. If it's, you know, just three or four years old, dig a root ball maybe a foot wide and a foot deep, and they're going to have to let it grow for three or four years to get it reestablished. But if it's a 50-year-old plant, then that becomes much more difficult because the root system is going to be a lot more extensive. So in theory, yes, they can move it, but how big is it and how long has it been in the ground? And they can do that now? They certainly can. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. We have Jean in Salt Lake City. Good morning. What is your question, Jean? Hi, we have the flowering pears that uh, you talked about a little earlier, and they are still green. Will they die? Uh, I'm trying to kill one of them, and I wonder if that will help. No, (laughs) best. It'll just make it look ugly if the branches break out of it. But you're going to have to, if you want it to die, drill the trunk this fall, fill those holes up. We kind of described earlier drilling a half-inch hole about an inch deep on a 45-degree angle every few Mm -hmm. inches around the trunk and then filling those up with a lawn weed killer or Roundup, concentrated, not diluted, but right out of the Uh bottle in a concentrate, and then just let it sit all winter and then cut it down in the spring. Oh, okay, that's good. And then I also have... The round seed pods on the end of the um, Rosa Sharon tree. And normally they fall off or come off, and this time they're just still green and sticking on there. Do I Should I cut those all off? No, just leave it alone. And if you need to do some, some pruning, do it in mid-March of next year. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, great. I appreciate the help. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for your call this morning. Next person says, if we get a warm day, should they try to work the leaves into the soil? Oh, I don't know if we're getting any more warm days or not. 40, if you think 40 is warm. Yeah, uh, you can if the soil's not frozen. And if you're going to, I'd do it sooner than later. Uh, Next person says, they have a question about the park strip by the road. They have an eastern redbud tree growing there. It's about 10 feet away from a fire hydrant and on the other side about 10 feet away from a water meter that's going into their home. Is this going to be an issue? And if so, who has to pay for any damage that uh, the city or the homeowner? 
you if you plant those within proximity to the city's water meters and things, you as a homeowner are responsible for a replacement usually. Now, if it's new construction, it varies a little bit on who pays, but if you plant a tree next to a meter or within proximity and the city needs to come in and work on it, you are out, not the city. So 10 feet away, is that far enough That's away? That's probably far enough away that it's not really going to cause a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. But so over- I over, you know, a if that thing decades, got 30 right? or 40 years old, it could, but for the next 15, 20 years are probably okay. Okay. Uh, next listener says with variegated iris, is it best to cut them down now or leave them? If they're still shiny green, I would just leave them alone. If they're still alive, sometimes they overwinter. In the spring, it's a little harder, but you, if they do die back, you can cut them back then. Okay. Valerie is in West Point. Good morning, Valerie. What is your question this morning? Hi, I was wondering, um, I know uh, I listened to your show a few weeks ago, and you guys talked about something I can put on my Bermuda grass in the fall to kill it, and I can't remember what the chemical was. Well, it's not just a fall application, and it's too late right now, but I'm assuming you live below the bluff. I live just barely above Above the bluff. Okay, in some of these older areas... Even if you have a new home, if Bermuda grass, if it was old pasture ground or old, just there's lots of different things, but there is Bermuda grass. The farther west you go, the more prevalent it is in the city. And so what I would do is get, there's a product named or named Bermuda grass control or Bermuda grass killer. And it's made by BioAdvance. Okay. It's in a blue okay. bottle. You can pick it up from J&J's, probably IFA can at least get it. There's other retailers. But you can spray that during the summer, and it'll suppress it. The other spray that you would use in the spring and fall is called Turflon Ester. And it's okay. T-U-R-F-L-O-N. E-S-T-E-R. Am I? Yeah, I believe that's how you spell it. But Turflon okay. Ester and both of these, well, the Turflon Ester will kill dandelions and things. But if you use this and you do that program for a couple of years, it will get rid of a lot of the Bermuda grass from your lawn. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And it's it's nice to have a call from my hometown. So. Hey, hey, we thought about moving to get away from it, but I, I think this would be easier. <laughs> well, it'd be cheaper, especially right now. And the other thing you may consider doing is pre-emergent, but if you do like an April application of it, do it again in mid-June so that if you have any seeds that you get summer protection. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, Valerie. Thanks for your call this morning. Uh, next person, Ton, says they have two royal raindrop crabapple trees. When would they prune those? They were planted this year, by Mid-March the way. of next year. My question is, is why are you pruning? Because unless you have broken branches or need to improve the branch structure so that, say, if you have crossing limbs or something, mm-hmm. there's not going to be a whole lot of reason to do pruning unless you are remedying future problems ever ever so on these any the ornamental crab apples the pears and things there's just they require far less pruning than say something like a fruit tree that you're using for the fruit and so 
there is some justification for doing a little bit of pruning when you plant them the next spring to get the branch structure trained how you want it. But otherwise, they don't require a lot of pruning unless you have dead or diseased branches. Okay, well, it was planted this year, so they're going to maybe want to do a little bit of yeah, that in yes. March. Yeah, and Royal Raindrops is one of my favorite crabapple trees. All right, back to the phone lines. Uh, Carol is in Bountiful. Good morning, Carol. How are you today? Great, thanks. I have, I have a honeysuckle vine on my fence. When is the best time to prune that? Oh, any time. It may get angry with you and not bloom for a year or two, but they're aggressive enough that they'll grow back. Um, okay. is, it, is it weighing down your fence or what's going on? No, we like it. It's a privacy. I just like to take it down a little bit so it doesn't get too okay. big. Okay. What I would look for, if you can see when the the buds are starting to expand in the spring, okay. if you've got dead wood in there, you can thin that out at any time. But otherwise, because the honeysuckles bloom off of new growth, if you wanted to give it a haircut in the spring, it should bloom for you. If you prune it too much, it may not. Okay. Okay. I just like to keep it down a bit if I can. Yeah. But uh, it's pretty and it works, but it gets a little bit carried away. All right, Carol, thanks so much for your call this morning. Ton Nexlister wants to know when they should prune apricot trees. In mid-March of next year. Okay, next person says, can they still try to kill quackgrass in their lawn and bindweed? Uh, it's a little late. The bindweed's probably frozen back. If You know, if we had some 50-degree days and the bindweed was still green, yes, but I think those days are done. And so it's going to be, you're going to have to probably get on it next year. All right. Now, the quackgrass, I'm not sure what they're spraying, but again, that 50 to 55 degrees is a critical temperature for it and if they were going to use like a roundup product or kills or something if we could get back up into the 50s they could still spray okay we're going to take a break when we come back well jan will be up next and final segment of the greenhouse show coming up you can still call us 801-575-8255 or text us your question 57500 a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with KSL Greenhouse Show. Maria Anton with you for this final segment of the show. Back to our phone lines. Jan is in Nephi. Good morning, Jan. What is your question? Nope. Jan, are you there? All righty. Notice that people from West Point don't hang up on us stop okay uh next listener says hey ton that video on controlling bindweed by putting the bindweed in a ziploc bag and then spraying inside the bag with roundup they want to know when doing this how long do you leave that bag on and 24 hours okay and then what do you do after with the bindweed and the bag just cut it at the base of the soil and throw it away okay 24 hours you can leave it longer if you want if it's covered with a towel you know, like a light colored towel to keep the soil on there um, or to keep the sun off of it, that it'll just keep absorbing it, but at least 24 hours. 
Uh, next person wants to know, any way to have elephant ears survive over the winter in northern Utah? Dig up the crown and the roots and bring it in and treat it like you would a dahlia. It's just, that's about the only way. I think they're just, they're tropical. They're not even like subtropical. Mm-hmm. And if you leave them outside and they're at 30, 35 degrees all winter, they're probably going to die. So you need to dig them and store them at 55 degrees. Okay. I believe that we did find Jan. Jan, good morning. What is your question? Yes, I have a five-year-old peach tree and my neighbor has a lot of cats. And they've done some damage. So I planted a cat and dog away at the base of my tree. And this year, my peaches were bitter. Is that because I planted that, you know, that herb next to the tree? Well, the cats were angry with you, and they did it themselves. They at three in the morning, the game of, gang of cats came over and sprayed with bitter spray. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's probably because of a lack of water. If those peaches don't get regular irrigation through the summer and with the extent of 100 degree temperatures we had through the summer, it's pretty common for us to get calls with fruit that were bitter where they're normally sweet. And I think that just making sure that it's deeply watered every seven to 10 days will remedy that. And that's, that's what I did this year is I did deep water every seven to, well, basically every seven days because I had it on my calendar to do so. Well, it's, so, how, how were you doing that? I have a drip system, and I leave it on until I see the water is just pooled okay. around the drip line of my tree. How old is your tree? Five years. And so the canopy is, what, 10 or 12 feet wide by now? Yes. What I would do is get a hose-in sprinkler and just drag a hose out there once a week. Instead of relying on your drip, just get a a sprinkler and sprinkle the entire area under the canopy with a hose-in sprinkler for a half hour, 45 minutes. So you can drive Uh water down a foot to 18 inches. Okay. The drip may be insufficient, even though the tree's alive. I think you might want to water more of the canopy underneath the canopy than what the drip might be doing. Okay. Okay. Well, I will try that next year, but I'll tell you, I had a broken heart this year. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. We do get a lot of calls like that. And I actually am working at a Nephi a couple of days a week now and kind of community kind of grows on you in a good way and so i'm sorry that happened Aww. thanks jan yeah. for your call okay is, is, is there a particular time you're down in nephi not it just you depends know, on my schedule it, some days it's monday wednesday some days tuesday thursday sometimes monday wednesday it just depends okay gotcha i understand thanks jan for okay. your call uh, next Thanks. listener, Tons, is in San Pete County. They planted 25 trees in June or July. Irrigation turned off on October 15th. They're wondering if they should be watering them now and through the winter. No. Trunk sizes vary. No? Well, it's because we're plenty wet. Okay. And if we had not had any rain or snow, I would say, yes, absolutely. You want to be watering those in every three or four weeks until we get regular moisture. But we've had regular moisture, and so I would do no supplemental watering. Now, for for some reason... We don't have snow for three we or don't four have, weeks. Yeah, rain. then you might consider it. But right now, I just let it be. 
Okay, let's go to Robin, who's in Provo. Good morning, Robin. What is your question? Yeah, good morning. So I tore out my sod, and I'm doing a xeriscape in my front yard. And I'd like to uh, select a tree. I've uh, had some neighbors have some beautiful, uh, glorious red and orange colors that come up in the fall. And I've heard some good things about an October glory maple tree. And I really like those colors. I wanted to check and see what you recommend for our climate and uh, also about what size a tree would do the best. Um, in the corner around a little bit, apparently there's a couple of big seven or eight footers. They're a little pricier, but there's also other three or four footers. So my main question is, what type of maple would you recommend? I live in Provo. Are you on the bench or down? Where are you at? You know, I'm about uh, oh a quarter mile from the mountains, so I'm I'm right next to the mountains. Okay, I. October Glory is a beautiful tree, but it's one I would not personally plant in my yard. It has a lot of problems with not lacking the ability to take up enough iron, zinc, um, magnesium, manganese. And so if you're up on the bench itself, they do better. And you might be okay with October Glory if you're pretty close. But if you just, for me, more reliable trees that will give you good color in the fall as far as maples are going to be Norwegian sunset or Pacific sunset. Great. So I would Norwegian or Pacific Pacific sunset. Yes. Yeah. No, those have um, their challenges. You need to wrap the trunks in the winter um, and a few things like that, but they're going to do a lot better than just statistically than October glory. Sounds good. And what size do you recommend that I purchase? I buy economy trees because if you buy the instant gratification trees, it takes them three to five years to get reestablished. And oftentimes a tree half the size will catch up or outpace it in the short term because it just takes off. Wow. Great advice. Really appreciate your uh, your ideas there, and thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Robin, for your call this morning. Uh, this morning at 8 o'clock, the plan of the week was the Green Penguin Scots Pine. And we have a number of people commenting about that on our KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Uh, one wants to know, would this do okay with the secondary water from Utah Lake? Ah, it'd do better than Alberta spruce, but it'd be something if I had one, I might go out a couple times a summer and flush the soil around it with house water with several gallons of house water to just try to keep the salts at bay. Mm-hmm. I think over a period of 10 or 12 years, it may get its salt buildup. But if you were to flush it in late summer, it, it probably would be okay if your soil isn't already salty. And Dan saying, so this would be like a long needled Alberta spruce then? Correct. And it I'm doesn't hoping, get as, as tall? Yeah. And I'm hoping it won't scorch. We don't know that. But the scotch pines generally have a good track record. They can get some uh, scales in them that you can take care of with a systemic, but they've generally had a good track record here. Yeah, you can check out a complete article, see the pictures of this beautiful tree on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Uh, Next listener wants to know, Ton, do you know if service berries grow in West Jordan by the river and where where do you get them? 
you can order them online or you can get them from some local garden centers. If you're growing them for fruit, you're going to have better luck with varieties online. But if you're just wanting them for their flowers and fall color, you can get several varieties from local garden centers. Now, I can't promise that they would do well. You would need to test the soil. And if the salinity is under two, a measure of two, they're probably going to do okay. If it's above that, they may struggle. About 30 seconds left. What are you going to be doing out in your yard today? Anything? Hopefully, I'm going to be mowing my lawn if it's not too wet. Mm-hmm. It, I mowed it a couple of weeks ago, and it grew a lot. Right? All of that so, precipitation did yeah, it. Yeah, among other things. I've, I need to winterize engines, get my snowblower going. I've got lots to do. Okay, and if you are just tuning into the show, you need to know that Tom told us how to prepare our motorized lawn equipment for winter. You can check that out on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Have a great weekend. Next week's show going to be a bit abbreviated, only 8 to 9 o'clock. Have a great weekend. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.